Yo, what is good? It is Michael Waves, and welcome to Waves Radio. I appreciate you tuning in to my conversation with Sammy Adams, somebody that um, I've had the pleasure of collaborating with, and way before that, somebody that I've looked up to and respected in the music industry ever since I first started. Um, he really burst onto the scene back in like 2009, 2010, 2011, back when I kind of first started. So um, kind of a cool full circle thing for me. Um, we talk about his experience with major labels, um, you know, his style of music that he makes and just his crazy journey in the music industry in general. So hopefully you enjoyed this conversation. Appreciate you tuning in. Yo. My guy, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah, I'm glad it worked this time. Got a lot of technology. Yeah, all good. What's up, man? Not too much. How are you doing? Good. Chilling, busy. Uh, you know, kind of finally getting the the like touching stages of the studio and shit. Yeah. Um, all nice stuff, but uh, everything's good, man. I can't complain. Hell yeah, man. Well, dude, I know, I know you're a busy guy, so I appreciate you taking the time to just hop on here and, and chop it up. It's nothing, bro. You already know. We already, we already got a slap together, so it's nothing. Appreciate that, man. So how is, uh, I know you mentioned the studio and stuff. I know I've seen on your, Instagram and stuff. You got a nice, super clean, white, white painted, hella clean looking studio room going on. How has your quarantine been? Is that, is that like affected your creative process? How, how's that gone for you? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was really weird at first in terms of quarantine because, um, you know, like I do a lot of work at Apple Music and, and like curate and like host a, a playlist myself. So it was, there was a lot of like, uh, stuff up in the air in terms of like whether or not we'd be able to keep our show going and that was definitely stressful um and then like the other four or five djs like most of the people that dj like the um the twins from nina sky like they have a studio set up uh low-key as a setup like who does like all the Duce palooza stuff but for the people that didn't um apple actually sent them like a whole pack of equipment and like you know train them for a week of how to use it and how to you know compress your vocals so you know yeah. in my neighborhood like there's never not especially right now fireworks and all this bullshit going on um yeah. but a lot of construction too so it's like it it was uh it was a little bit stressful in the beginning but at the same time um you know, to have, like, just, like, my little outlet in my third bedroom that's mine. Um, yeah. You know, I know I, exactly I, what you mean. I'm there right now. I know exactly. Yeah, and, like, you, you know, I, I always, um, like, I haven't really told many people this, but, like, when I did I Hate College, when I did Most of Boston's Boy, it was, like, in my mother and father's bedroom with, like, a bunch wow. of, like, you know, I moved a bunch of their rugs around to just, like, get that, like, studio vibe. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which, which, obviously, like, people were like, <laughs> you know, they were like, fuck are you moving these Tibetan rugs around for, my guy? Um, I feel like that's crazy because, like, I feel like in today's day and age, everybody has a home studio now. But back then, that wasn't, like, a common thing, I feel like. You know what I mean? No, I wasn't. I mean, also, like... You know, in in terms of recording like dolo on your own, um, it's it's a way different vibe than being in like a professional studio where you have an engineer you don't know. You have, you know, like the first time I was in a professional studio, I was like, yo, what, like, fuck are these two guys doing here? And it's like, that's your runner and that's the assistant engineer. So like, you know, it uh. It takes a little while to get, you know, your... Like, comfortable. Yeah, like, your comfort zone is... You're a little out of your comfort zone, which I think is a good thing um, yeah. in a lot of ways. Like, at least for me, it was uh, it was a challenge. And, like, you know, you, you have to kind of battle with your, like, in and out uh, insecurities. And, like, they're, they're more subconscious than anything. Um it's usually like, does this like assistant fuck with this record I'm making? But it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's like, the shit that nobody thinks about. Yeah. Nobody has any idea. And so you're in that situation. But, 
you know, it's like, um, you know, like, like someone, someone the other day, like over a Zoom call was asking me like, yo, who makes a master at I hate college? And I was like, no one, someone leaked it from Trinity without even the second verse. And as, as tight as I was about it, it still, it kicked off like a whole, um, you know, a whole relationship with like all the colleges in the Northeast that I could go play. You know, granted it was 14 to 20 people. And then the next time you come back, it's 200. And the next time you come back, you're actually selling out a venue. So, um, you know, get, getting acclimated to your environment is really important, but also in terms of having a studio in my own crib, like it was, it was just like a must because, you know, when, when you have a lockdown for such, you know, it kind of like, I, I would say it was a very underestimated time. Like some of my boys that work in finance in Boston were like, yeah, we'll be back in the office in two weeks. And I was like, you're wild. Like, yeah, yep. no chance. So in terms of that, like, you know, having a place where you can go and make music and, and make shit that doesn't just sound like, because like, I mean, a lot of the stuff I wrote for Boston's Boy, I wrote on the microphone, like, that is just the built-in microphone on Apple. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously you go cut it somewhere else, but that brings us to a whole another level of like cutting cutting costs and having to go, you know, pay an engineer that you don't know what he's done. And luckily I found like an incredible engineer um, that has added so much value to my music um, that it was, it was, uh, you know, his idea, like, yo, you don't have to come pay, you know, $700 every time you come in, like, to a studio just to get the studio space and it also gives you that freedom to like try shit that even if even if it was like my brother or like you know my girl or anybody that i full-heartedly would die for and trust it's still another opinion and the subconscious and the insecurities you know they they do come to light and it's like yeah. you try shit that you wouldn't normally try and a lot a lot of times for me like a lot of the stuff that i did was like a mistake and it turned into something beautiful and amazing yeah well, that's how you learn i feel like you know what i mean like you make those mistakes you take those chances it may not initially be maybe what you expected but it exposes you to a whole other direction you may go or you may not have known that you had inside you you know what i mean yeah totally i mean it and it's like it, it's really about like finding your sound finding your wave and and trying to trying to kind of develop that and and see what people like i mean for me it was a little difficult because like going to trinity it's like you have pretty much every like you know you have every like abba record and ace of bass record playing and there's a lot of edm remixes and tropical house remixes and shit like that but you know that that wasn't what I was doing at the time. I was mostly just like spitting and, you know, probably way too, way too hammered to be doing freestyles and shit, <laughs> but still spitting. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it, it's all about like what your comfort zone is. And that's, that's really what, what changed it for me. Now, what are like some of, and that kind of leads into the next thing I wanted to ask you really well, like, what are some of the things that led you to like make the type of style of music that you did? Because I feel like, I mean, you're a great example of like never being, never putting yourself in a box stylistically or musically. Like, you know, like you talk about Boston's boy, like definitely, you know, you have like more pop leading records, like driving me crazy. You also have like rap records on there, but then you even go to party records where you're going, you're going over like EDM, like dead mouse and Rusco and crazy shit like that. And then you have also other records, like only one, you just have like such a, such a wide array of of like of styles and you've never put yourself in a box what led you to kind of like branch out to make pop records to make rap records to make electronic records dance records stuff like that um i mean i like i always had um i always had like a a huge interest in like the just the dance music community in terms of like before it was like the whole like you know plur thing and and all that and it, it was really like 
anything that caught my ear and like whether it was some super super hard shit or um just like an amazing trance track with no vocals uh you know this is before like copyright lawyers were a big thing so like yeah. yep you know you have like you have the opportunity to go in over some dead mouse shit and like one of the funniest dead mouse stories is like he was about to go on stage in new york and someone introduced me to him and he was like oh yeah you, you're the one that did that uh some chords remix he's like it's fucking trash and walked on stage <laughs> like a two-hour banger set and i was like yo I'm, I'm just i'm happy that i got noticed i don't give a fuck um that's wild but really like uh like once once i started to like experiment with you know the more dubstep edm type records and shit um I dropped out of college. I went to live with my boys in Boulder and, you know, like the pretty lights and Caspas and Ruscos and dudes were playing like local shows, you know, before, you know, selling out arenas and, and doing the shit that they did. Um, so it, it gave me like kind of a like literal like backstage front row view of of like how kind of just like this isn't just a fad like yeah you know they're like the edm world isn't going you know anywhere and like if if you talk to half of the labor representatives they were like this edm phase is gonna phase out dubstep will will you know be phased out and you know it's it's, it's all about different styles of music it's like people could say the same thing about hip-hop being dead right now because most people sing on their records and it's not really um you know the whole the whole like storytelling big l rock him type shit now yeah. But, but yeah like just seeing people live and and actually getting to meet people um you know was was just like very eye-opening and you know, so, some memories are amazing. Some memories are terrible, but, uh, yeah, no, dude. I mean, it's like, especially I feel like when you made, and first of all, like when you talk about copyright and stuff like that, again, like, I feel like the normal listener would never know about like your, your whole project party records would probably be a copyright nightmare if you ever tried to release it. Um, in terms of you oh, know, yeah. all the different beats that you're going over, but like those types of songs, I feel like, I think it was a great thing that, you know, copyright wasn't what it was at that time when you released it, because I feel like I've, I've seen you live, I think two or three times, uh, but you know, just watching your live shows that fans have posted on like YouTube and shit, you, those songs add such an energy level to your show. And like, for me, for me personally, like, you know, before we ever made any music together, I've been a fan of you for a long time and respected you and looked up to you in terms of like, um, not only the music that you make, but especially your live show. You've always been somebody that I've taken like hella notes for um, in terms of live shows, legit like watching your sets on YouTube and literally like taking notes. Okay, this works here. The crowd loves this, you know, shit like that. Right. And, like what, what led you to have such a, like place such a value with your live show? Because I, I would, I would match your live show energy wise up there with anybody. What led you to place like such a large value in having that like energetic live show? Um, I, I would say, I would say like, I would say a lot of different, um, a lot of different aspects, like see, you know, obviously when you go see someone like Pretty Lights who has an incredible, you know, an incredible team, like incredible, like lighting director, a whole team that knows what's going on. Those are, those are like, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of lights yeah. and when i was starting out you know the main thing that i figured out about like getting the crowd moving and shit was really like like playing a song that could potentially be like very up tempo for the crowd that mainly was probably there for like four or five other hip-hop artists to see how they'd react. Also, a lot of new stuff you make in the studio and it's unreleased, it's a perfect time to try to get that song to see if, you know, people get like turned up to it. So the whole thing for me was was really just like trial and error and seeing what um what songs really cracked off live and what didn't. 
Um, and then, you know, just to have like, to have like the stage presence, it just takes time. Um, and there's multiple times where you feel like you couldn't, you know, do necessarily like the things that you thought you could. And then maybe a song that you thought would totally slap didn't. Um, yeah. But that's the thing about playing live music is that you're on stage putting yourself out there and, you know, regardless of whatever, the whole thing is about, you know, getting better every single time you do a show. And it turned from like doing a show for 40 people to 400 to 4,000 to selling out MSG with Enrique to selling out the Coliseo in Puerto Rico. So wow. we're talking like 30,000, 40,000 people. And then, you know, playing like Red Rocks and all these incredible venues. You play Red out. Rocks? Yeah. Fucking A, that's amazing. I'm so jealous of you for that. So it, it was, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy because like, at the same time, it's almost not as intense as playing a room for 400 people that know all your words because you got to be fucking on point. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that I was just thinking about, like, as you said that when you're playing rooms for like, and something I can relate to, you know, you show up somewhere and like, you know, 15, 20 people come out that can be a really tough crowd. Like, you know, it's like if you have a really small room that maybe doesn't know who you are and like, you know, you're somebody on the bill that they don't know. You talk about getting better and pushing yourself. That makes, you know, playing the arenas and the huge rooms. I feel like that has to be something that it's like, hey, if, if these 10 people here don't know who I am and I made them rock with me and I got this room moving, it gives you the confidence to then translate that to a bigger stage. Yeah, totally. I mean, in you know, in, in terms of like, pro like probably my most memorable show ever was like, you know, it's like maybe two years into when I like first moved into New York and you know got my place here, and then I moved to LA for a year, and we came back and sold out Roseland, which is RIP now due to yeah, yeah. all that made it a bunch of condos, but like, you know, I saw. Skrillex, Dead Mouse, and Maddie on there, and you know it was crazy, and like it seemed like such a big room that was so unattainable at the time. Uh, and then, you know, November ninth, two thousand thirteen, we sold that bitch out with no openers, no radio, wow. no push. It was like sixty eight hundred, you know, people in that venue, and like. That was definitely a nerve wracking time too, because like you gotta get um you gotta get your work in in terms of you know having your l d and your production managers and your tour managers on point about everything like you know when you have when you have fifteen hundred meet and greets you can't you can't knock that shit out before a show like yeah. That's crazy. You got you got to split them up between before and after the show, and you know to pull that type of shit off and to headline, you know, bamboozle and have the production that we had during the daytime was, you know, at the end of the day, like we were all just having drinks and being like, "Bruh, this yeah. is fire!" Like I can't believe we pulled this off. And then, you know, from there, like being in Paris and writing for Lady Gaga and writing a platinum record for Enrique and doing a whole tour with him. Um, it was wild. It was, it was like, it was like, if you told like 13 year old Sam, this, I would have been like, yo, Mike, go fuck yourself. Yeah. That's insane, man. I mean, like, you know, cause at one point in time, like, feel like you said, Hold on, I just got to plug my phone. You can keep talking. Hold on. Oh, you're good. I just unplugged mine. Actually, I was running low. Um, I know that you were with RCA for a number of years, um, and uh, I can't remember the exact year that um, you know you paired up with them. Um, but I know, like uh, the pa the past couple weeks that I've done this, like upcoming artists will tune in, and and once I post this to my story, they'll tune in and watch. Um, like, what was when you partnered up with RCA? Because I think you you were a super unique case where like you just had like a crazy independent buzz. You know, you were 
you were selling hard tickets. You were selling out venues regularly um, and doing crazy numbers like independently. Um, I know like, you know, at that time, at least when you released Boston's Boy, if I understand correctly, like you were with um, First Round, which is just like people that you were friends with or are friends with. If Is that is that correct? No, nah, fuck them. Um, but, oh, really? Wow. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, 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 the major labels is, the major label situation is a diff is a totally different game because you get, you know, you get the whole wine and dine treatment. Um, and, you know, like from being in a dorm room in college and slapping shit in your fucking like closet yeah. to getting emails and eating breakfast with Jimmy Iovine and, Dr. Dre and all these dudes that, you know, were Legend. interested. It was like, it was just kind of, you know, it was kind of crazy. That's wild, man. I mean, like, how how was your, like, when you were with RCA, I know it's like a totally different beast in the independent game. Like, how was your experience there? Like, positives and negatives, just having the major label a part of your process and what you were doing? Um, it was interesting. You know, at first I had... I had a lot of records that I absolutely loved. Um, and they felt like probably half of them, but you get paired up with, you know, an A&R and a project manager and a product manager. And a lot of people that sometimes, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily agree with all the time. Um, and especially when it comes to releases, like a lot of the records that I had before, um, you know, they thought could either have better production or, or better writing or whatever. Um, and it, it really depends on who you get. Like, I, I've never had any bad blood towards RCA. Um, you know, we, we sold millions of records together and, and that's a hundred. So, you know, everyone in that building did what they could to, to push me, I guess, to like the ability of like their pay grade. And then you have other people that kind of just want to shelf you. And that's where it becomes tricky because the politics really do come into play there. Um, and like, you know, when when you have someone that's like pushing a Justin Timberlake record and a Pink record and a Britney Spears record, you're going to go do almost 200 radio shows a year, which basically cover your travel and maybe like two bands. Um, wow. And, and you're really, all you're doing is like giving them clout and giving them a bunch of reasons to still, you know, play these people. And, and in, in like radio terms and in major label terms, it's like getting in power rotation. So like whatever could get Pitbull and Justin Timberlake and all those dudes power rotation, fuck it, let's put these young guns on a bunch of shows. Um, and the only difference is, is like I would go smash these shows out and then the same night go sell at a venue in the same city. Wow. So so it was, it, it was an up and down, you know, it wasn't like a tumultuous relationship at all. Yeah. Um, you know, despite like some of the people and I disagreeing about certain records, but you know, uh, a lot of it was, was like just part of the, part of the path that you know the universe sent me on to do my own shit yeah no i feel like that's an experience like i mean you were with you were with them for a number of years right yeah i was there for like two and a half i mean like that's well looks like he dropped out let's see if he hops back in hopefully his phone didn't die yo while we're in here waiting for him to come back in if you have any questions submit those bad boys below I'll take this time to scroll back through. Again, appreciate everybody hopping in. Um, hopefully he gets back in here in a second. There we go. Yo. Yeah. Take three. Yes, sir. Uh, but yeah, what I was saying is, you know, um, you know, I, I feel like in terms of in terms of growing as an artist, it 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 was uh, it was just like lots of lessons learned, lots of um, you know, 
no regrets really at the same time um i think i should have put another ep out before i had signed a deal um but you know hindsight's 2020 so you can't really yeah can't really dwell on anything and and uh it taught me a lot of lessons and shit that I probably wouldn't have learned if I had just stayed indie. And who who would have known, um, you know, where music was headed and what direction? Like, we were we were all about. <laughs> my man just said no regrets. I saw that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you know the like the whole DSPs thing. Like we had YouTube and Facebook back then, so a yeah. lot of it was yeah. all word of mouth and. Yeah you know, having street teams and putting posters up and like going and spray painting your own shit. And you're like, basically getting like 15 of your boys to go graffiti your shit all over the city. Yeah. So it's definitely a different game now. But at the same time, you know, it's it's uh, it's still fun as fuck. And it's uh, it's a passion. So that's what it is. Yeah. And I mean, even at the same time, like you talk about that change, like, I feel like when you first started to pop off, like Spotify, I don't even know if Spotify and Apple Music and them even existed at that point. So it's like you, you're really having to change and like adapt to like an ever changing industry. And I feel like that's tough in itself. Oh, yeah, they definitely um, they definitely like didn't exist at the time. They were probably in in motion and in beta to be um, what they are now. But yeah um you know the funny thing is we used to like wish fm radio would just die and now it's dsps and and them and and labels have relationships now so you know a, a lot of the stuff in the editorials and and shit are are basically like you know artists you've heard of before like you have you have artists that you know have pretty much every album they've put out in the last three lps that are getting like four or five placements on New Music Friday in every country. And it's not a coincidence. And it's not because yeah. the songs are like incredible. It's because of relationships and it's because of the payola that comes in. Yeah. Um, and and that's, that's really what it is. But like the major label situation like brought me a lot more confidence in terms of just like writing and doing shit myself. And not only just like, you know, seeing myself as like a rapper or as you know this and that like i told them like you're not going to turn me into like some kind of like pop act that i don't want to be and you know you, you can kind of see it clearly you can go through the discography on apple music and all this other shit and it's like always a face shot it's always a headshot of me and it's like I'm, I'm a lot more artistic and creative than that and like i i have so much more vision than just like what people you know look at me as just like from a physical standpoint and especially from a musical standpoint so it was a little hard to like combat that type of shit because you know they're they're the dudes that are like i've been doing this for 46 years and this is what works so <laughs> You know, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's hard to argue with a dude that you know has thought he was right for years, but none yeah. of them saw DSPs or, or I mean, especially TikTok's pretty brand new. But yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, e either way, it was it was a it was a great time in my life to to uh, build on what I was good at and figure out what I didn't want to do, and it also at the same time like I've never bought followers, I've never done any of that bullshit. So like I have a very natural grassroots fan base that basically, you know, tells me what they want to hear. And that's, that's a really, really, really important thing um, about your fans. It's knowing what they want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. How, what's been like, uh, as a fan, like what's, what's your favorite project that you put out? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, it's funny because like EPs to the albums to the mixtapes. I know you have like a good hodgepodge of of discography. Um, I would say like in in terms of my, in terms of like <clears throat> just like off of the rip, I would say Boston's Boy always is like the closest to my heart because it was such a long shot, and you know, change your life. I, I played it for. 10 music attorneys over a thousand ARs, two executives at labels and they all were like this is not commercially viable music um so 
you know, when I went back to the drawing board and made some changes and added some songs, um, you know, that one really sticks with me. But like, Into the Wild, Okay, Cool, like those are all projects where, like I said before, like before the copyright, you know, the copyright like killers were out for everything. Yeah. It gave me just a lane to open up on every type of genre of music. And, and I feel like that's where, you know, I was a lot different because people that were rapping back then, you know, obviously there's always been like vocalists and singers over electronic music, but at the same time, rapping over dubstep and, you know, Tropical House shit before Tropical House was a thing. Um, it really, it really changed everything. So everything from like driving me crazy to just saying to tab open from Boston's Boy still wasn't that different of a vibe from like Into the Wild and Okay Cool. It definitely was a different feel, but it was st still like the same bars with melodic hooks. And that's really what uh, popped it off. Like the first one that popped it off was Party Records. Um, yes. And you know, Party Records was a huge stretch for a rapper to be going over Dead Mouse, Rusko, Cast with all these crazy beats, and then you know, getting Static and and like other dudes that are are obviously like the most solidified OGs in the game. Um, it was just crazy to have it all on one project, and and you know each one of those projects turned into a tour or two. So um, yeah. it was, it was really amazing to see how, how like the fans reacted to it. Cause I had no idea what the response was going to be like, yo, this is a horse or this is fire. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I mean, uh, super specific question just popped in my head as you're talking about that kind of stuff. I know you worked with a producer, I think his name was J-O-B, where he did, like, I feel like you guys worked together and did a lot of really unique sounding records. Do I have his name right? J-O-B? Yeah, J-O-B. Do you still work with him? Do you still have a relationship with him? I feel like you guys always make killer records. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, I, I stay in touch with everybody that that I've worked with in the past. Like, you know, not not on some, like, you know, best friend, homie, homie shit. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I try to keep in touch with them as best as I can, and yeah. And, you know, some, some people move away from the, you know, original sound that you had and some people stick with it and some people are willing to listen to the more like experimental stuff that you do. So, I mean, I, I probably have like 15 records in the vault with JLB that I've never released. And then, you know, overall, I don't even know how many records I have unreleased. But, um, but yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the people, a lot of the people I work with, it's, uh, like before you collab with them, I like to get to know somebody a little bit. Um, Cause like, it really depends on the workflow and how people get shit done. Like if you need two weeks of like post-production, I'll find somebody else, like real quick. Yeah. yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I was just venting about that the other day. I know exactly what you mean. Did you have, did you have any challenges like, you know, going from building a huge independent buzz you know, dipping into a major for like two years or so, going back independent. Did you have any challenges transitioning back to being independent? Yeah, not having like a 250K budget for one. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it also teaches you to be like, to be like more, more frugal with your money. And, and which is like why building a studio in the crib was such a great investment because, you know, you can, not only cut demos, but you keep just, you know, you don't have to buy all the shit at one time. You basically just like piece by piece, you buy something and then all of a sudden you can cut records in your studio that you can send to your engineer and get mastered, mix and mastered. Um, and it sounds like we did it in a $15 million studio. So yeah. a lot of the, uh, a lot of the shit for like, in terms of that, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it, it all, it all comes, I guess it all comes down to, to like, however you're feeling in terms of where your music is going. But going back independent was amazing because it really showed me, um, it really showed me how many people like really actually cared about the music. And it wasn't, it wasn't this big machine that was 
creating all this buzz and all this shit that that actually made me pop off. It was it was the actual groundwork and foundation that I laid that really stuck. Yeah. So like uh to get a little bit personal for a second, I know you've been uh you've been dating your girlfriend Andy for a while. Um just through socials able to pick up on pick up on that. I've had I've been with my fiance for the past like 10 years, so she's really seen for me personally like starting from like literally ground zero. Um, and being somebody that I can always count on to, you know, talk me off a ledge or be somebody that I can get an opinion from. What, what, like, because you guys, how long have you guys been together? Ah, uh, like seven and a half years. Wow, fucking it, yeah. I mean, like, what, what type of role does she play? I mean, you know, like the music industry being full of the highs and lows that it is. What type of role has she played for you? Uh, I mean, it, it's just the it's just a support system um and you know like she's kind of seen everything from like roseland to being with rca to going to smaller venues to you know me getting in an accident and almost losing my life and breaking my neck and having to take a year off um so it's it's been like super integral man like to have someone that you know undeniably has your back it's like it's crazy um but you know like just in the, in the same sentences like with her like i have my best friends from the bean and and my parents have always supported me like you know mentally and you know i i wish i could say monetarily but i, I don't come from one of those families <laughs> so uh but yeah i mean you know, it's just, it's basically just like having someone to lean on and, and having someone that, you know, can be like, no cap, this is trash. Yeah. Like, this is, this just like, could be way better. And when, when you broke your neck, like, I, I mean, obviously the physical rehabilitation, like, what were you going through mentally when that happened? I mean, like, you know, I feel like you can't perform. It, that has to be just like, take such a toll on you just as a person all around. I mean, I was on so many drugs uh, <laughs> in terms of like in the ER and then when I got out of the ER, it was it was crazy. Um, and then once like, you know, they were trying to give me like a prescription for like three months for Percocets and I have I have too many friends and like homies tatted on my body that OD and yes, it's, it's obviously a big epidemic, not only in Massachusetts, but everywhere. Um, I just stopped taking them um, and, and was just taking like acetaminophen and, and, you know, basically shit people take for like headaches on a Sunday that had a big weekend. Uh, yeah. So it was more, it was more mentally draining in terms of like, you know, almost a year and a half, two years later, still having nerve pain and uh, just having a battle through that has, has always, always sucked. Um, and you know like almost like it was probably like four months ago that i could actually like fully go on runs and you know actually work out and shit without having like severe severe like pain all around so that was that was really difficult for me because it 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 was kind of getting in uh in the way of just like my everyday life and getting my endorphins in and and, you know, the last thing I was trying to turn into was, like, a plizzy on pills um, just because, like, you know, I, I had, I had like, an unfortunate accident. But I'm also super lucky to be alive and, and to even be walking. You know, like, one in 10,000 people walks away from that accident. So, um, so every day I wake up with, you know, an immense amount of just, like, this grateful feeling that I'm still here and that, I can still, you know, make, make and, and, you know, provide for me and my fam and, and me and the squad. And really like, it's, it's just, it was a big eye opener. Um, and I, I wasn't really worried about the side of things where like, Oh, is this going to totally ruin my career? Blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, funny enough, like the shit on Instagram, like I posted from my hospital bed about breaking yeah. my neck. Yeah. It was like, uh, it was probably, you know times a million 
in terms of like the amount of likes and comments I got, which it's kind of that culture we're in. It's like what like that's the shit that brings people in, which yes. totally fucked with my head. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was it was definitely scary, you know. Like my I broke I broke like this part of my neck. You can see the wow. scar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, like my C three, C four, C five were all broken, and my C three was shattered. It was like a hundredth of an inch from entering my vocal column. So I would have been mute and she's you know, right. pretty much a paraplegic. So it would have taken away from everything that, you know, I was passionate about. So it was real scary. That's wild, man. I can't imagine going through something like that. Yeah. It was, what at, at this point in time, like it was super black. Yeah. I, like I said, I can't imagine that has to just be like, you know, when you say eye opener, I can't, I can't even try to fathom what, in terms of you know lifestyle change and and really putting things into perspective that that can be that, that flips your whole world on its end. Yeah, I mean, it's, what do it you? Was, uh... Sorry, go ahead. No, it was it was just, it was just crazy. It was it was uh, it was it was like a very uncertain time in my life, um, and you know the uh, the amount of doctors coming in and studying like the break of my neck and how I wasn't paralyzed gave me like, you know, just, just more, um, just more gratitude and, and, you know, praise to God and praise to the universe that I pulled through. Yeah. What, uh, like now I guess taking things to like, you know, now present time, like I know 2020 has, I feel like has a huge asterisk next to it because of obviously everything going on. <laughs> You know, it's totally fucking non-traditional year this year for various reasons. Um, I mean, especially for the music industry, you know, touring is pretty much a wash for at least the remainder of the year. Um, oh, def definitely remainder of the year. People people saying shows will be on in September, you capping. Yeah, I totally agree with that. How, like, how I guess, what are your plans for the remainder of the year? And then even obviously since this year is kind of somewhat of a wash, at least live show wise, like what are your plans going forward this year and next year? Um, for this year, uh, so I released a couple of records, uh, one with Tim Norris, released on my own. Um, and hey, then, and yeah, thank you, man. Um, and then, and then just like really trying to keep it, you know, like when, when I finally started releasing music again, you know, all my DSP numbers were like super low, 300K. And then after on my own, like it really showed me how much of a support base I have of my fans. Cause like we're back up to 1.4 million in no time. Um, and it's great. And it's like, you know, these are the songs I want to put out. It's not like someone's like, yo, you should put this one out for this. Um, and like it really just comes down to being consistent and and dropping records that you know not only not only like other people dig but the ones you believe in the most like and that's those are half of the you know half of the joints that kind of make it hard is when you have two records that you really love um you just got to figure out you have to figure out which one you like more and which one you can fucking play live for a long ass time and not get sick of, you know, like yeah. it, it, it comes down to you though. Like you make the art and if you believe in the art, the people will believe in it. And, you know, I feel like, I feel like more times than not, um, as an indie artist, I feel like the fans always, always have the last word and, and I've gotten it probably right eight out of 10 times, you know, and, and you learn from your mistakes when you put something out that doesn't hit. But at the same time, like it's art, bro. I don't make the shit for nobody but myself. And it's yeah. it's just it's just basically like, you know, it's like it is what it is. Everything everything you go through in life is a lesson. Everything you do, um, everything I record is a reflection of my actual, you know, life experiences. Like I'm not capping talking about like shooting up a block or nothing. Um yeah. Like I, I just, I just write real shit that resonates to me. Yeah. 
Are you working on like a project or anything right now? Or are you just kind of playing the singles game? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I probably, I probably have enough songs in the vault to drop like three albums, four or five albums. But at the same time, um, you know, I think, I think for like a consistent purpose, um, just like having a three week scheduled release date for, um, your favorite songs is way better than putting out a project right now because there's there's just like the the attention span has gone from you know 15 seconds to like five seconds and um a lot of people wouldn't even get through your whole project i mean not not even like even if it's a fire project like i sent like you know i sent like my favorite kanye albums and my favorite you know Nas albums to people and they don't even get four songs in and they're like this is trash but then they'll go li then they'll go listen to something that I think is absolute fucking garbage but you know that's just my opinion and I keep my opinions to myself cuz like whoever it is like you know there's artists that I play on Apple Music that um I don't know how the fuck they got on there besides paying for it but uh great point but you know at the same time they're out there, you know, trying to sing their ass off in like off ass key. And, you know, the the whole thing about dropping music, like I said, is consistency. And and the only thing the only thing that's gonna be consistent is if you love your own shit and you you know, you work day and night and tirelessly and and really, you know, really care about your craft. Otherwise it's like, you know, you're just you're playing to the majority and you're probably just following a trend and in a lot of in a lot of ways like that that shit might work for a little bit but not yeah. a long time i feel like it's all subject it's like it's all subjective you know what i mean like there's records that you might love other people might hate there's ones that you probably don't like but you would put it out and somebody likes so it's like you know in terms of following trends and stuff like that everything's subjective like people just like different shit yeah of course i mean it's it's like a you know it's it's a um it's an ever changing industry and like you know whether like you listen to Haim and like the Dixie Chicks or Katy Perry or fucking NLE Chopper Young yeah. Boy or whoever you know it's like you have the right as an American to do whatever you want in terms of listening to shit um but at the same time like you know you can't you can't get mad at people for having success a lot of the times you know it's working for them and you know a lot a lot of the times like they have a really strong team behind them and a strong marketing budget but a lot of them are really 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 talented and you know i mean in my opinion there's there's no room for hate especially in terms of like you know the social injustice is going on in our country we need to unite and be like there for yep. anybody even if you think someone's music is fucking trash like don't say it like i come from you know i i, I was born in 87 so i come from a time where if you thought someone's shit was trash you can be like yo i thought his shit was trash and it disappears into the air these days you know you have 14 15 year olds that are trying to you know build a career and i was trash when i started and i got a lot better but to have all these negative and hateful comments on a page doesn't make you, you know, doesn't make you like a hard dude. It just, it, it fucks up. It fucks up a lot of, a lot of people's, you know, even mental growth just as a kid. And like, I've never read comments in my life. Cause I don't give a fuck with a bozo post. Like fuck out of here, my guy. Like, what, yep. like, where, like, where are you working? Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, people, people comment on my shit all the time. Like, Oh damn. You're, you're like, like 31, 32 years old, like I'm 18. I'm like, congratulations on not being able to buy booze in the US, you fucking idiot. <laughs> like, fuck does that have to do anything? Yeah, I used to struggle with that for a while. I'm, I'm 29 now, but just like, it just goes to show you, I mean, like how powerful that shit can be if you have like an insecurity in your mind, like that shit can fucking penetrate and like torture you within your mind if you can't sit there and be like, you know what? I don't give a fuck what anybody that's commenting or whatever has to say. Yeah, I mean, you just you just got you just got to leave all that shit out. I mean, there's there's no uh there's no positive reinforcement coming from, you know, 
someone that's just like doing the opposite of dropping gems like yep like supporting someone is supporting someone is like straight up like just supporting someone even if you're not a huge fan of their record like give them a boost watch them get better in two years like jack harlow is a perfect example yeah, I took him on. I took him on tour in 2016, 2017, and really? you know, and, and now you know, now he has like platinum records, and has Wayne, the baby, and and Tory Lanez on the remix and shit. So, you know, it's all it's all like it's all amazing. Like, and I mean, I I thought all his original shit was incredible, um, yeah. and that's why we brought him on road. But like, you you really have to like. You know, I, like I, I like the era where you find new people, you find new music, and that's that's a, where a lot of my fans came from. Um, in like more so like the the blog era. So I'm I'm super happy to see Jack doing his thing and and like multiple other artists and shit. You know, it's like it's it's all love on my side. I got no hate for anybody. Um, like I said, I'm lucky to be alive. So, um, you know, you'll you'll never catch me like subbing anybody or saying some stupid ass shit because to be honest like at the end of the day you regret it if you're in some beef with someone it's like bro squash it it ain't worth it yeah. only put only pussies hold grudges like just get over it yeah yo man well i mean the time's ticking down i have a timer here i know instagram live has like an hour uh time limit but like i mean i can't say thank you enough for number one taking the time to just come on here and and people were, were commenting here as I was scrolling through, like, coming on here fucking dropping continuous gems that people can look back on and learn a lot from. So just huge thank you to you, man. Like, I've been a fan of you for a while before we ever did any songs together. Um, and uh, I just appreciate you fucking taking the time to uh, to drop the gems on the people. Yeah, of course, man. I mean, bro, anytime, you know, we're, we're fucking, we're fam. And we, and we got that Hoover joint, my guy. Yeah, yo. Everybody in here, we got a kind of like a bad version two somewhat coming out. So that'll be information coming on that, coming out on that soon. Then we'll have some, probably some stuff in the future as well, of course. So again, man, dude, I appreciate it big time. Um, yo, stay fucking safe, stay healthy, keep fucking dropping gems. Cause I know I'm soaking up a lot of games just sitting here talking to you. So I appreciate it, man. Yeah, of course. Anytime, man. Yo, whenever, whenever you need me back, you already know. I appreciate that, bro. Yo, take care. Thanks again, dude. All right, my G. Peace. And that is a wrap. Episode four with Sammy Adams. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and got value out of that. I always say it, um, but I got plenty of value out of that conversation. A lot of gems dropped, a lot of games soaked up, um, at least on my end. So hopefully you experienced the same thing. Appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate your support. Uh, make sure you follow on Spotify. Make sure you subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. Leave me a nice review. It is much appreciated. Hit me up on socials at Michael Waves. Let me know if you enjoyed this episode. Appreciate you.